1: Good morning, and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. So thrilled to be here with you. Uh, it's 2:22:23. Did anybody realize that? Uh, Two is my favorite number. So, so, do you remember last year when it was 2:22:22? That was very exciting for me. But 2:22:23 is pretty good for me too. Thrilled to be here with you this morning, live. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and about a dozen other uh, places, and we will podcast this show later on so that you'll be able to watch it. Any place that you download your podcasts for free, you'll be able to download this podcast. I, um, we're having all kinds of cold weather and... Uh, and I've been having all kinds of sinus things, so my voice is at least an octave lower this morning, and I hope that everybody's okay with that. For those of you who are, most of you are too young to know, but I always say this is my Brenda Vaccaro voice. Uh, so, Michelle, good morning. I'm so happy to see you're watching on YouTube. Thank you. You have a great day, too. Just like Michelle, you guys can be writing in right now. The live chat is open on Facebook, on YouTube, and Twitter, and Trayvon has already started showing you some of the other places that you can be watching us live. Now, many of you listen to us in podcast, and that is okay, too. But if you ever want to see what's going on, a lot of people like to see how crazy my hair looks on any given day. Uh, I love whenever I'm in a public forum and and get to see especially young people who are studying to be BCBAs or have become BCBAs in the last 10 years, they will come up to me and tell me that they, in their college, they studied our jargon of the day, which we're going to do in just a second to help prepare for their BCBA exams. I love this because it's deeply ironic. We we actually started out making the jargon of the day for people who weren't going to be BCBAs to explain what BCBAs were talking about. But I love that BCBAs, learn from how we language it to people who are lay people that makes me very happy but anyway one of the ways that the professors get them to watch the videos and be interested in watching them is that and and to prove that they've watched them is to describe how crazy my hair is for the day listen it's called taking one for the team and i'm happy to do that i try to have crazy hair whenever possible just for you uh (laughs) Right? So, in any case, I I welcome all of you guys here. I hope that uh, we're always on a mission to provide information and inspiration. And I think, I, I not only hope, but I think we're going to be able to provide that today because we've got a great guest who's going to be coming up in a little while. Kyle Jessel refers to himself as the driven autism dad. Now, You know, when I heard that term, I was like, well, what does that mean? You know, how, 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 where is he driven to and and why is he driven? And then I had a great conversation with him and I think he's going to be very helpful to a lot of people because what he was driven to do and still is driven to do is to make life happy for his entire family. And he's got six kids two on the spectrum. And so, you know, he's, uh, you know what they say about your hands are full and your heart is even more full? I think he's got both of those things going on. So we're going to talk with him about how he, as a dad, uh, took that drive to make things happier at home and to have a better relationship with all of his kids and applied that to autism and arrived at a happier place. And believe me, this this guy's been through some stuff. So he's going to talk with us about how he's not only surviving but thriving and and I think that will be very inspiring you know we love to have uh, we have all kinds of experts and individuals who are on the spectrum and parents that are on the show and we have a special place for the dads don't we because we get to hear from a lot of moms myself included um and that's wonderful but we also love to hear from individuals who are themselves on the spectrum all the time. That's why we love, uh, especially on Fridays when it's only their voices for stories from the spectrum. Um, But even less than hearing from on the, people on the spectrum is hearing from dads. So it's, it's like a rare thing whenever we got a dad who's like, yes, I'd like to talk about what's happening and how I feel about it and what I've done. So it's always uh, a great day when we can have a dad here with us. I have a special uh, place in my heart for the dads because, you know, I'm married to one of them. So <laughs> and I love him just a lot, you know. So uh, we're very excited to have Kyle joining us in just a little while. Speaking of, though, uh, because I had just been to a a conference, uh, an ABAI autism conference, and uh, one of the panels – I was on a panel that was just for parents, but the other panel – that was there that day was a panel, uh, that featured two individuals who are adults on the spectrum. One of them was Amy Gravino, who I just adore. Amy's been on the show several times and, uh, it was just so exciting to see her there. I, you know, it felt like seeing an old friend and, um, Amy, Amy was taking care of me at one point because we were at the dinner for the speaker's dinner and we were sharing, you know, I especially was saying, you know, oh, these things give me a little social anxiety and, and I didn't know what to wear and, you know, the whole thing and bless her heart, Amy was like, well, let's take care of your bra strap that's showing. And, um, you know, so now I consider her a best friend, uh, cause anybody who will tell you the truth and say that at a, you know, Right. Uh, and Amy is hilarious. She had the whole crowd in hysterics because she, you know, she's just so much fun. And she tells it like it is. And you know I love that. But the ol- other person who was on the panel with her that was an adult on the spectrum was Cole Fitzpatrick. Oh, you guys, I can't wait. Uh, I've asked Cole to come on the show and, and talk with all of you because your heads will just, you'll you'll fall in love. Because he's just the most wonderful um, artist and uh says really important things so we're looking forward to having him on the show i just wanted to tell you that it was it's just so wonderful to to hear him and amy speaking on that stage was really exciting and the topic that they were talking about was providing compassionate aba care uh that is non uh traumatizing so you know that's one of my favorite subjects too so um Anyway, and people always ask me, well, if ABA is so good and if it's so wonderful and if it's so non-traumatizing, where are all the adults saying I had ABA and it was really good for me and it wasn't traumatizing? And I, my response to that always is they're out leading their lives and they're out working their jobs and teaching in colleges and, you know, uh, working internationally with robots and and busy with their friends. And that's where they are, they, you know. Uh, but every once in a while, one of them takes time out of their day to step forward and say, hello, that would be me, and here's what I want to say to you about all that. And and Cole had some really wonderful things to say. So, uh, you will fall in love with him. But anyway, we'll, we'll let you know when he is, in fact, going to be on the show. But please let me not forget that, again, the chat is open right now. You can be writing in like Michelle did, and then you and I can converse, and then you can also be asking our guest questions in a few minutes. We appreciate that. And also, before I go any further, let me remind you that on April 4th, at 3 p.m. Pacific Time we are launching the autism network podcastathon the first ever maybe the first of many i don't know we're going to see how it goes but we're going to be live for 44 hours non-stop live and it is going to be intense right and obviously, I can't do 44 hours straight. I'm lucky if I can get through an hour some days. So we have a lot of guest podcasters who are going to be joining us. And more that I picked up when I was at the conference. Uh, but some really notable names. Obviously, you know, I, I mentioned yesterday that Dr. Temple Grandin is going to be with us for one of those hours. Dr. Mary Barbera is going to be with us. for. She's taking over. We're calling them guest takeovers. She's going to take over for an hour. Uh, the just two dads have said that they want to do it. Uh, the uh, autism dad advocate. So many podcasts, but also so many different organizations with The with Ed Asner Family Center is going to take over for an hour. Taka, I believe, is taking over for an hour. So this is going to be really exciting. We have somebody in Africa who is going to be taking over, and we have a wonderful mom that does a radio show in India who has said that she will take over an hour, and we are identifying other people around the globe that are a perfect fit um, to bring you guys news from around the world. Uh, voices from around the world, expert interviews. We're going to have some celebrities. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have some giveaways, uh, so you're not going to want to miss that. It starts on the 4th at 3 p.m., and it goes all the way for two days until Thursday at 11 a.m. And here's the thing. When I was saying to people we're going to go live for 44 hours, please know that the 44 is because the CDC prevalence numbers right now. We expect them to change before then, but right now it's 1. 44. So that's why we're going 44 hours. That's why the number 44. And people were like, you know, do you have things to talk about for 44 hours? I said, well, we've been on the air for 12 years. So this doesn't scare me at all. I guarantee you, when we get down to the last 15 minutes, we will have questions that we have not answered and topics that we haven't talked about, that there will be a discussion. Uh, yes, Phoenix, the Ed Asner folk are great. There will be a discussion about, uh, can we go just a couple of minutes longer? And I might be so tired that we can't, but, you know, hey, it might have to go on without me. In any case, we have enough to talk about for 44 hours, do we not? Um, And by the way, while I'm talking about that, we really welcome that larger autism community that starts with the individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum, but we include in that also everyone who loves those individuals, And Amy Gravino said something the other day that just really struck me because they were talking about what makes a good ally. Because I always say I want to be a good ally to individuals who are on the spectrum. And she said that somebody had recently said to her, you know, an ally, is that really what we want? Because, you know, an ally is somebody who says – this is one of the ways that she – Phoenix is for everybody. It is absolutely, we, that's what I was just saying, the entire community. We start with people who are on the spectrum themselves, who identify as being neurodiverse or neurodivergent, whatever words they like to use. But we also include the people who love them. I am someone, I identify as a pony, a a parent of a neurodiverse individual. But we feature people all the time, and especially on Fridays, it is only the voices of those who identify as neurodiverse on Fridays. Um, But Monday through Thursday, it's a a mix of everything, but our audience always starts with folks who identify as neurodiverse, but then we include all of us who love them. But what Amy was saying the other day is that I don't really know that we really need that many allies. Allies are people who, when you when something happens, they say, I'm supporting you, and write the note or the card or whatever. And she said, what we really want are accomplices. And she said, accomplices are people who wake up in the jail cell with you and in the morning. And she said, what we really want are accomplices. And I want to be an accomplice. Um, because that, you know, listen, I... I, I I always say this but it's so true that I if I walk into a room and there's a whole bunch of people I'm going to gravitate towards the folks who identify as being neurodiverse because I know that I'm going to feel more comfortable in that group. I know people are going to tell me the truth. I know that we're going to, like, what we want in the world. Uh, My my values are going to be more aligned with them than the folks who aren't. Uh, And I know a lot of people who feel that way. So, um, yes. Yes. But we get there together, right? With accomplices now. I want to be an accomplice and an ally, but an accomplice. Yeah. I want to wake up in the jail cell next. right next to my son. I absolutely want to do that. Uh, Oh, Phoenix. Phoenix says, I asked because I'm neuro-spicy. Can I tell? (laughs) That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. I'm so thrilled you're here. I'm so glad you brought your spice with you. Uh, and hopefully you will enjoy some of the things that we talk about. Now, one of the things that, uh, especially when people are neurodiverse, neurodivergent, and possibly neurospicy, one of the things that we talk about here on the show uh, is we talk about ABA therapy. But before you leave me, Phoenix, we talk about ABA therapy in its purest form, which is individualized, very specific to the person, is considerate and reinforcing for the person is not punitive does not in any way take away their dignity that allows them to have choices i was watching a video this morning of a teacher that she had a poster outside her door and the poster was sectioned into six different things and there was a heart and there was a squiggle and there was a hand and there was all these things and as her students were coming into the classroom she greeted each one of them but before she greeted them they patted which one of the greetings they wanted on the wall. Did they want the heart? And if they wanted the heart, that meant a hug, that they got a hug. Did they want the squiggle? And if they got the squiggle, the teacher would go like this with them at the same time that they did. If they wanted the hand, it was a high five. There was a fist bump one. You know, and, but the, the child chose this I love. If it isn't what they want, then we're not doing a good job, which is part of what the jargon is that we're going to talk about here in just a second. Um, but so, don't leave me, don't leave me, because I'm talking about the best ABA, and I am aware of the fact that sometimes uh, ABA can be traumatizing to people, and that's not the—I—I I am not disavowing that at all, and I am—I want to be an accomplice to make sure that that doesn't ever happen again to another person. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we always, on Wednesdays, we start with the jargon of the day where we take one word, one phrase, one acronym. We give you the actual definition, and then I make fun of it because the actual definition is often useless to those of us who don't have multiple degrees in psychology and autism and behaviorism and blah, 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 right? Um, And then we give you a working definition, which also sometimes we have to work through, but I try to give you a specific reason why this term might be useful to you in the future okay so today's term is the premac principle now i gotta be honest with you this wasn't a part of my jargon um until kind of late right that a parent said to me well you know the premack principle and i was like i don't know the premack principle and she was like yeah you talk about the premack principle more than anybody i know shannon And and I was like, what's the Premack Principle? Fill me in on this. So let's take a look at what the actual definition is, and then we'll talk about why I didn't know this is what this was called. So the actual definition, let's put that up there if you can. Uh, Have we got it there? Yes, uh, the Premack Principle, also referred to as the Relativity Theory of Reinforcement, gag me, suggests that more probable behavior will reinforce less probable behaviors. Okay, I, I, you know what? I'm how many years down the road? I still don't understand this. What A more probable behavior will reinforce less probable behaviors? What? What does that even mean? Can we slide that directly into the ocean and and kind of like you know do the tortilla slap to whoever wrote that? I don't know what what book we got that from, but let's uh, move on to our working definition. Uh, It's making the desirable behavior the reward for doing something less desirable in order to make the less desirable behavior more likely to happen. Okay, so this is one of the basic principles of ABA that I talk about all the time. Um, But I feel like this convolutes it a little bit. One of the basic principles of ABA says that all of us, this is not just people that are, you know, identified as on the spectrum or neurodiverse, all of us – we, if we're faced with something that we don't want to do, and I'm going to use myself as an example, like I have to do my son's FAFSA right now, and it's due by next Wednesday, and I could have done it any time before October, and I have been procrastinating because I hate it so bad. I don't know how people get through this without counseling because I, like any parent... I feel like we should all be given statuettes every time we get this flipping FAFSA put in. It's worse than doing the taxes because at least doing the taxes, there are like, you know, apps and programs that can help you to do it and translate it. Or you can go to an accountant. But the FAFSA is worse, right? I'm avoiding it. It is a behavior I don't want to engage in and I have to do it every year that he's in college, right? I don't want to do it. Um, but is there a way to get me to do the FAFSA that isn't miserable for me? Well, the PREMAC principle says that I'm more likely to engage in doing the FAFSA if there is something pleasurable for me in it during, before, and after. That The only way that really kindly, unless you just want to force me, like take the tortilla and be slapping me until, which that's, you know, giving me something that's torture. Am I going to be more likely to do the FAFSA next year because you slapped me with the tortilla? No, I'm going to avoid it that much more, right? But the PREMAC principle says that if somebody came in and was, you know, and, and asked me what would help me do it, what's pleasurable to me, not to you. Like I have a friend who would be like, oh, if you supplied me with a lot of chocolate um, that I – but I'm allergic to chocolate. So that's not going to make me want to do the do the FAFSA, right? But the premac principle says that if – If there is something that's really meaningful to me present while doing the FAFSA, and that there's a meaningful reward for me doing the FAFSA, then I will be more likely to fill out the paperwork for the FAFSA. I think this is like a duh for all of us, and yet sometimes we don't stop and think about it. Like I often will think about the consequence thing and think, well, you know, I can talk to myself and say, well, my son is more likely to get scholarship money and funding that you know that will make it easier for him cuz we're trying really hard to make sure that he doesn't have loans to pay so that would be real you would think that would be reinforcing enough but it isn't because the fafsa is that miserable for me to fill out it isn't enough and i forget that oh i could make it rewarding during the fafsa that i during the time that i'm doing it like if i asked myself the question about so what would make it okay for me like how you know, how could I make it deeply, deeply pleasurable, then I might be more likely to engage in it, and if it was pleasurable enough, I might not avoid it next year. You know what I'm saying? So the PREMAC principle says it's really a baseline way of saying what Dr. Grand-Pichet says all the time. It has to be fair. If you're asking somebody to do something that's hard for them, first of all, you shouldn't be asking them to do it unless there's a meaningful benefit for them either now or down the road don't ask somebody to learn a skill that's of no use to them. And I don't care if they're on the spectrum or not on the spectrum. If they don't want to learn it and it's not useful to them, it's for you, you need to step back. You need to step back all the way to the curb because that, like, that's about you, and you need to go work on yourself if that's what you're doing. And I'm a former teacher, right? And I would always look at things and go, what is the benefit of this skill to this child? You know, and, and I, a, a lot of what I taught... Um, I, I, you know, I taught high school English and I taught college theater and acting. And if a student came into my classroom in college and they were like, I want to take an acting class, even then I would think about, okay, is this somebody who's going to go be an actor on the stage or is this somebody who's a business major... And and how is this going to be useful to them? How are they going to apply these skills to their life? And I took that very seriously, right? And I think that anyone who's in a position of teaching someone, because that's a sacred, sacred arrangement, right? To be someone's teacher, Oh, sacred, sacred, sacred. It means they're going to trust you to give them information and you're going to trust them to disseminate it and do with it what they will. This is sacred stuff, right? But it has to be useful. And if you apply this to when we're teaching individuals from the, on the autism spectrum, so often I see people wasting children's time teaching them things that aren't going to be important to them. You know, um, that just aren't really all that useful, but it's because somebody else wants it. Now, there are other things that are very useful to someone that may not be the thing that they want to do right now. Like I, in our culture here in the United States, there is this thing about shaking hands in a job interview right and you would think that the pandemic did away with it let me tell you it is not done away with it people are still shaking hands i don't agree with it i don't think it's the thing but it it there is a thing There is a negotiation that happens. Now, it's changed in the last couple of years. And the other day, somebody was introduced to me, and they stuck their hand out. And I have been practicing this enough to say, I don't shake hands anymore. But let me wave to you with love, (laughs) you know, so that they would see that I respect them. But I'm not shaking hands anymore, right? Um, But there was a time when we would teach handshaking to children so that they would at least know how to do it if they wanted to do it, right? Right. I don't know that I would teach it anymore, but I would teach them something to do when people stick their hand out, right? Something to, to you know, to say, to smile or to, or to wave or whatever, because um, they don't have to vocally say, no, thank you. But there has to be an acknowledgement. There is a conversation that's happening there. And there is a presumption, I'm going to stick my hand out and then you're going to stick your hand out. And if I don't, I need to in some way acknowledge that communication. And unfortunately, if we want our children to go into the workforce, which we do, then we have to teach them about this communication and this level of communication, right? But it's not going to be reinforcing to them right now. So we need to make it fun for them to work on it. This is what the PREMAC principle is about. Premack principle says if you don't care about it and if it's not important to you right now, you're not going to want to do it. It's not likely to happen. But if we put something else that is reinforcing with it, it's more likely that you will learn the skill. And I'm all about teach the skill and teach the individual the the ability, the you know the cognizance of you have the choice now to use the skill or not, because that's a powerful. For, um, Oh, yes. Phoenix says, what's worse than handshake, though, is uh, strangers trying to hug you like you're a toy. Yes, and and there are a lot of people who have not gotten the memo about that. But um, one of the things that I loved was that we always taught my son that that is always your you know from the time that he was 3 and he was nonverbal at the time we taught him you know because we would have relatives who would be like give you know give me a hug and and we would always stop and say you have to ask him if he wants to give you a hug and you know my mother was oh yeah oh we have a typo in the pre-MAC principle. Trayvon was just telling me in my earpiece. And I'm apologizing because I've gone on and on and on, and we have a guest. So, um, yes, Phoenix says, learning how to learn is extremely helpful because then you can teach yourself things. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. I totally agree, Phoenix. Uh, okay, so anyway, pre-MAC principle, I think it's an important thing to know, but no, understanding the way we all work. Somebody said to me the other day, uh, you know, we always get the thing about, well, isn't it dog training? And, and I said, no, if you understand the pre principle, it's not dog training because if it's dog training, we're all dogs. Uh, hi, I'm a German shepherd. I'm not, I'm, I'm a cocker spaniel, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Because part of the reason why we all go to work is we get a paycheck. And if you're going to call that dog training, we are, you know, uh, I'm a cocker spaniel. Um, yes, Uh, yes, and school can be super rough because if we're not teaching to the individual and so much of what school has done is said, we're going to teach to the middle and it makes it hard for people who aren't in the middle. And most of us, most of us aren't in the middle and all kinds of individuals struggle with that because if your brain is moving at a faster speed, which is sometimes our kids, you have to, like, wind down and occupy another part of your brain just to stay present. And sometimes it's not enough. And our kids check out and go to a place where they're doing math and creativity things in their head because it's not moving fast enough for for them. And then there are other kids who don't have enough skills to be in the middle. And if you taught them the skills, they could be, you know, beyond the middle, right? So school is... um <laughs> no. Uh, we love to interact, uh, Phoenix, so it's wonderful. I'm glad that you're interacting. Uh, okay, but I want to bring in our guest because he's been waiting, and you're going to enjoy him. Kyle Jessel is the driven autism dad. He has six children, two of whom identify. he identifies as being on the autism spectrum, and Kyle is I'm going to let him talk about his story and how he got driven, but I, I think his message is super important, uh, especially for the parents out there, but really for all of us. So Kyle, thank you for waiting as I went on and on and welcome to Autism Live. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear me okay? Right, fantastic. And we're gonna ask the, uh, the audience uh, if they can hear you too. Cause you are a little bit low in my ear, but I can hear you perfectly. So Kyle, tell us why you are the driven autism dad.
0: Probably our story is like a lot of other family stories, right? When we first got the diagnosis, uh, you know, my wife and I were we were kind of excited because now we thought, okay, now that we've got the diagnosis, we can give him the help we need, he needs so that we can figure out the craziness going on in our home, right? Uh, and so I think at that point we were we really were. I won't say excited about getting the diagnosis, but we, were, we felt relieved. You know, now we can start the process of getting the expert's advice and going through all the, those things that will help us kind of restore some of the normalcy in our home. You know, uh, our first son who was diagnosed on the autism spectrum is more severe. And we had two sons at the time and um, our, two, our two typical sons, my wife and I both, Spent our whole lives wanting to be parents, right? And we were really excited about being parents, and we had we had studied and worked, and we thought we're going to be the greatest parents ever. I think every parent feels like that, right? Yeah. Um, and and with our first two kids, things were going well, right? I mean, we were we had different uh, things in place that were good for discipline and happiness and joy, and we were really enjoying our two little our two little boys. And when my third son came along we kind of thought we had lost all ability to parent, right? Because nothing was working that was working for our two other sons. And so when we finally got the autism diagnosis, we thought, you know what? Finally, now we can get the help we need as a family and we can, we can restore what we had been building. Uh, and so, you know, we got them into therapies and ABA and all the different things the experts uh, say to do we did all those things we did everything and more we spent thousands of dollars on different uh we tried everything as a matter we even at one point sent some of his poop over to france
1: to be diagnosed i, I, I don't know what that was about but we i can tell you everything. what that's about but we'll talk about that later uh <laughs> it actually is going to help people down the road kyle it wasn't useless okay
0: it wasn't okay good good uh, well it didn't it didn't seem to help us because with all the things we were doing we were still struggling with what I will call, and, and all those things helped him, but we were still overwhelmed by the stress of what we called home challenges, right? And these were the things that I think, I, I'm sure I'm not going to surprise anybody with these things, you know, the the meltdowns over a lost uh, Lego piece that could last for an hour until we found it. Yeah. Sometimes the rage, you know, the, uh, even to a point of violence, and, and he was a pretty young kid at the time. Uh, biting, kicking, screaming, smashing iPads and TVs, you know, extreme define, all the all the things I'm sure that every, or a lot of these parents have dealt with, we were still facing. And so even though we were, had him in mean, all these therapies and all these different ABAs and all these different things, we, my wife and I were still struggling and my two older sons with those home challenges. Those, and and I I learned later on that, that those therapies and those ABA's help those kids our kids, but they don't necessarily solve the stress in our homes. And so uh, it, it became it got to a point where my wife and I were at conflict over uh, how to discipline, you know, how to manage the stress, what we were going to do. Uh, even to a point where the stress was overwhelming. I remember one time my wife said that. I got home from work one day and she was just crying. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, it's like, a, it's like an earthquake is hitting the house at the same time as a flood and a tornado is blowing everything around. She said, it's just, you have no idea, right? And it was, the stress was overwhelming between all the things that were happening in our home. And it was, it was creating conflict between me and my two oldest sons because you know he would melt down and i would say what'd you do right to my and they would they didn't do anything <laughs> they're just being boys right and and it all kind of came to a head one saturday morning at probably about six thirty in the morning my wife and i were awakened by this blood-curdling scream you know the kind you hear in horror movies right and my son eric was having a meltdown and we didn't know what it was but he had woke the whole house was was awake now and typically a meltdown would, would last anywhere from, you know, 10 minutes to 45 minutes maybe. This one lasted four hours. And every time we thought we were getting him kind of calmed back down, he would ramp back up and there was walls smashed with holes in them. We, one of our front windows was smashed out. We found something big enough to smash that and threw it. And by the time the, we finally got him calmed down after four hours, the stress was so overwhelming. My two older sons had hidden themselves in their room and locked the door so they could stay out of the fray. And my wife and I, our nerves were like so frayed, right? That we, we kind of, and I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I, I'm, probably other people have experienced this too. We kind of started to take it out on each other, right? My wife and I. And I think sometimes when things are going wrong, we want to blame somebody. Yeah. And sometimes I think we have this tendency to blame those that are closest to us, right? And, and my wife was uh, was very feminine and just a southern belle, and I, on the other hand, grew up a fighter. So typically, these these confrontations between she and I kind of went me fighting her, eventually crying. Then we would eventually, you know, figure it out. This one, she was fighting. She was done. And she said, if you wouldn't be so hard on him, if you just show him more love. And I said, he needs more discipline. And it it was just these things that were, the conflict was so overwhelming, we were just hurtling uh, insults back and forth at each other. And it got so bad and it wasn't stopping that I thought, you know what, this isn't really going anywhere. It's just going to get worse and worse. So I grabbed my keys and I walked out on my front porch and... You know, just in my mind, I was enraged. You know, it's it's this isn't the life I signed up for, right, in my mind. And I'm thinking, I just can't live like this. This is not the family that I envision. We're working as hard as we possibly can. We're doing everything they're telling us to do. And we're still in this situation where the stress is overwhelming and it's just, it's tremendous. And so at that moment, I remember standing there with my keys in my pocket. And thinking I'm leaving I'm just gonna hop in my car and I'm gonna leave and I didn't really know what I was gonna do but at that moment uh, a memory of my dad popped into my head and it was when I was about 12 or 13 I was in a baseball game and I was playing uh, a position called shortstop and there was two outs in the last inning and all we needed was one out and the game would be over and we would win well the guy hit the ball to me and I made an error I fumbled the ball And then the next guy got on base, and the next guy, and they ended up winning the game, and it was all my fault, right? And I remember, you know, this can devastate a 12-year-old, right? And I remember I was just overwhelmingly devastated because it was all my fault, right? The whole thing was my fault. If I just made the play, we would have won. And so my dad, I walked over to my dad after the game, and I said, Dad, you know, I wish the ball hadn't been hit to me because then we could have won. And my dad just... So lovingly and kind, he leaned into me and he said, you know what, Kyle? That's not the way we do things. He said, you want to prepare yourself so that you want every ball, every game hit to you. He said, you never want to push your success or failure off to somebody else. You want to be the reason for success or failure in your life. You want to prepare yourself and work so hard that you're okay with whatever happens. He says, never ever pass the buck he says if you're going to lose or you're going to go down don't you go down without the biggest fight you can possibly give right and so that that memory was in my brain i'm like i can't go down i can't give up my family without the absolute biggest fight i can give and so at that moment i remember uh, we lived in a little town called rocket texas which is just outside of dallas and we had a big giant pecan tree it was probably a 40 foot tall pecan tree And so I I did something else my dad had taught me, and I went over under that pecan tree and I just prayed. I just knelt and prayed. I didn't know what else to do, right? And so I remember, I don't remember what happened or what I said or any of those things, but I do remember feeling like, you know, I got the message the problem is not your wife or your kids or your sons on the spectrum. The problem is you. Work on you, fix you. And you can do that, right? And and initially, when I got that message, I was defiant, right? You don't understand, God. I, I mean, I, I remember thinking this. I've done everything, right? I can't do anything. And I remember just thinking, fix you, right? And so that was the day that I thought, you know what? I'm not ever going to leave, and I'm never going to quit trying to figure this stuff out. And so I think that is the day that I, I became what I call the Driven Autism Dad. I'm driven to figure this stuff out, right, to figure out home challenges, to create strategies that help us to manage ourselves in a way that allow us to be happy and thrive. And I, I remember I went back inside, and I think my wife saw me praying. I really think she did because she had changed a little bit but not enough. And I said, you know what, Shelly, I'm not leaving, and I'm going to fix this. But she said, yeah, yeah, we'll see how that goes, right? <laughs> I, think, I think at that point she had just kind of – she was in the same state as me, right? It was just overwhelming, and I had heard her before say I can't live like this. But that was the day that I made it my mission. I didn't care what else happened. I didn't care if I ever figured it out. I was going to die trying to figure it out. That was the, the point, and I think that's what made me, and that's why I call myself the Driven Autism Dad. If there's a problem, if there's a, a home challenge that we have – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together a plan and I'm going to try it. And if I fail, I'm going to try something else. And if I fail, I'm going to try something else until I figure it out. And once I figure it out, I'm going to start using that plan to really, and I think that's really where uh, we started to have success as a family, which is, is how do we manage ourselves in our home, right? Those home challenges can tear us apart or they can bring us closer together depending on how we manage it. So that's really kind of how I came up to be the Driven Autism Dad.
1: And so, because I know for some of the people listening to your story, you know, I'm sure that there were parents who were identifying with your story, but I'm also sure that there were folks on on the spectrum who were feeling that, oh, because it's hard to hear parents talk about what it felt like when their kids were having tantrums before we get to a point, like you said, where you realize that the problem wasn't your kids the problem was how you were reacting to it. Cause I, you know, Phoenix wrote in and said, I think meltdowns are neurological storms that might spring from unresolved or unresolved uh, stressors, not tantrum, so don't take them personally, which is what you got to. Um, right. and, I, and I need for people to hear that, that Kyle, and I, and I see parents all the time that they go, what is this mental shift that people have when they're like, I'm no longer fighting against my child's diagnosis. But I, but I think you described it perfectly. And it's not that you were wrong either, that there was something wrong with you, but it's a different mindset, a different way of looking at it. So take us into that scenario again, Kyle. So now if one of your sons starts to have a meltdown, how are you reacting now? Because it's, because it changes everything, right?
0: Absolutely. It does. You know, it's funny because one of my sons recently, one of my older sons who's now married, he and his wife were watching me and he says, I'm shocked at how patient you are, right, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and, it, and how disciplined you are. And it, was, it surprised me because I don't think of myself as patient or disciplined, right? I just have created a strategy that I know works, and so I step into that. And, and it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, here's what, here's what I think where we start to have problems as parents on the autism spectrum. We, we believe, and we're right, that our child is unique. Every child is unique, right? So we think, well, that won't work for me because my, I have two sons on the spectrum. One is one is more severe, one's more right, high-functioning, and one is an introvert and one is an extrovert. We have all these reasons, right? Or our family's different. We have six kids, right? We, and so we, my wife and I used to, to use this term called yeah, but, right? Yeah, but you don't understand. That won't work for me because, right? This. So yeah, but, and we would constantly do that. But the reality is, it is a, a mind shift. It's really a change in how we do things. And really, the key for us was to create those strategies that were unique to us. Now, the cool part is we have a, we created a framework that we've helped other parents use to create their own strategies that are based on the framework,
1: right? And, I, and I'll give you an example of one. So. Well, but Trayvon, can you boost his volume again? we uh, they're saying his volume dropped again because uh, I want them to be able to hear what you're saying, Kyle. Uh, okay. And then, but go go ahead. I think Trayvon's got it. So go ahead and, and tell us a, a, an example of one of the frameworks. Yeah. So the framework goes like this. So um, we would
0: identify a challenge in um, our phone. For instance, I'll, I'll just talk about meltdowns, right? Yeah. And what we did was we said, "Hey, here's what meltdowns are. Here's what meltdowns are resulting in in our we were resulting in we were walking around on eggshells, afraid of the meltdown, right? So we weren't really being our, our typical selves. We were, uh, some, we would, we would uh, isolate from other people, they would have uh, this turmoil, and, and so we would started isolating, we started uh, not wanting to take in places to the movies or to these different places. So, all these things were a result of us not managing it very well, right? And so we said we would, we would write down all the th- challenges that we were facing in the results because what that did for us is that gave us a really good reason, right? That we kind of magnified the pain we were in so that we would really want to solve the problem, right? Uh, and, I, and I'll share with you real quick, It was when I started really searching for this, I found uh, a story about a character by the name of Alex Honnold. And I don't know if you've heard his story. He's the free solo guy. He's a a mountain climber that climbs mountains with no ropes, right? And what that means is if he makes one mistake, he dies, right? There's no ropes to save him. And so as I read his his story, he said, you know, I'm not the greatest climber and I'm not, I don't have the strongest hands and all these things. He said, but I do three things. And he identified those three things. And I thought, and these were the three things he says, I'm going to get trained, Number 1, number 2, I'm going to make one good decision. Right? So he doesn't look 100 feet up and say how am I going to get there? He looks right above himself and makes one good decision. And the third thing he said which really struck me is I don't freak out. Mm. Right? If he sticks his hand in a in a crevice and tries to lock it into hold and it's it's wet from the previous, you know, from the moisture from the night yeah. and his hand slips out, he doesn't freak out, right? And the problem is it's hard not to freak out when things start to go horribly wrong. Yeah. Right? So our strategy became we're gonna write down, we're gonna write down the problem or the challenge we're having, in this case meltdowns, and then we're gonna create a strategy that is very specific and gives us tactics we can follow every time. And we're hoping that'll lead us to being able to manage that in a better way. And I'll tell you the one we came up with for we called it we called this strategy winning every meltdown. And I'll give you an acronym. And if you have a piece of paper and a pencil, I'm, I'm suggesting you write this down and, and do it in your own life because it's a powerful strategy. So the acronym is APWEC, A-P-W-E-C, for winning every meltdown. And I'll describe what that means. So APWEC means the A means assume there will be meltdowns. Okay. So assume there will be meltdowns. These kids have meltdowns sometimes, right? They get overstimulated. Things happen. And they have meltdowns. Why are we so shocked when they have a meltdown? I've seen parents that when their kids have meltdowns, they're surprised. I'm like, why are you surprised? Right, That, that you've made the biggest mistake of all. Sometimes our kids have meltdowns. We shouldn't be surprised when they do, right? We should never be surprised. We should say, that's okay, right? The P is for prepare yourself. When they do have a meltdown, prepare yourself mentally and physically. Physically means stand up straight, right? Put yourself in a state of power right, knowing you can handle this, and mentally put yourself in the state of, I can manage this, right, I'm going to manage this with love and kindness, and I'm going to get my son or daughter through this meltdown, right, so assume there will be meltdowns, prepare yourself mentally and physically, the P in APWAC, and, and you can, it'll be easy to remember if you think of it like the duck, right, the APWAC, right, that duck makes it a lot easier to remember, so assume there will be meltdowns, prepare yourself mentally and physically, the W is for when the meltdown. Now we don't win the meltdown by shortening it or getting our way. We win it through kindness and love. right? When our kids are having meltdowns, the last thing they need us to do is join the fray. We can't, by doing that, all we do is make it worse. right? We go in and we, we go in and we say, "Are you OK, right?" And you sit down with them, and if they're on the floor in Walmart screaming and yelling, you sit down with them and you console them and you say, "It's okay, right?" And you show them kindness and love. For however long it takes until they start to recover. Right? So we and that's winning a meltdown, and that's a fantastic way to do it because then really the stress comes in when we enjoy join their fray and we get so exhausted. And and it's just so it wears us down. But when we're kind and loving during that process, they feel it, and we can maintain our energy and our, our happiness level, right? The E in APWEC is energy and endure, right? If we do, if we manage these uh, these meltdowns in the right way and we're winning through kindness and love and compassion, we have energy. It doesn't stamp our energy like it does if we're right freaking out with them. And that just makes it worse anyway. So, and also endure. Sometimes meltdowns are going to last a few minutes. Sometimes they come at the wrong time. We have to be able to endure that and to to manage that in a way that allows us to go through it in a positive way for them. And by the way, don't think they're not watching us during this, right? Don't think our kids aren't paying attention to how we manage things because they are and they're learning how to manage themselves as well. And uh, the C in APWAC is for celebrate. And here's one thing I think we don't do enough of as parents. When we do the right thing at the right time, when we're all done and we walk away, we need to take a second and go, yes, right? That's what I'm talking about. I managed that meltdown so perfectly, right? And I gave him or her the love and the kindness and the compassion they needed. And if you'll use that formula, APWAC, when your child has a meltdown, assume they'll have meltdowns, A, prepare yourself mentally and physically. Stand up straight, stand up tall. You can manage it. You've done it before. Win through kindness and compassion and love. Endure And have energy because you know you're going to need energy for the rest of the day. If they have a meltdown in the morning and it ruins you for the rest of the day because it saps all your energy, you're in trouble. We're all in trouble, right? Right. And then C, celebrate. Do not ever forget to celebrate. I'll never forget the first time my son had a meltdown one morning. We were going to go to the park. And my my son had a meltdown at about 10 o'clock. And so I said, I got it, babe. I told my wife and I ran upstairs. And 15 minutes later, I came back downstairs and I said, all right, we're ready to go to the park. And she said, Kyle, you got to stop this. I said, stop what? She says, if you keep suppressing your anger and frustration, you're going to explode on us. I said, I'm not angry or frustrated. I said, I have a strategy. And that strategy, not only does it get me through with happiness and and kindness and courage and show him the love he needs, he's watching me. He's learning and modeling that behavior. And now we have energy. And if we want to go over to the park and take him guess what if he has a meltdown at the park? Guess what happens? Apwek. I run over there and I take care of it and we handle it, right? And it's so powerful. Uh, My wife called me one day at work and she had taken the kids to the movies. And she called me and she said, uh, hey, Eric had a meltdown at the movies, right? And I said, oh, no. And she said, oh, no, don't worry about it. I got it. I said, what happened? She said, well, during the previews, he got overstimulated and he ran out of the theater, Screaming, and he ran into the hall, and started and laid on the floor and started screaming and yelling. And so my wife went out there, and she appwacked. Right? (laughs) It's exactly what she did. And and a couple people started looking, and staring. And you know, naturally for us, we're like, "What are you staring at?" Well, that's not what she did. She said, "You know what? If you'll give me a few minutes, I'd love to tell you what's going on." Right? Yeah. And and so she stayed with him. And shortly after that, she just stayed there and hugged on him and loved on him and said, It's okay, it's we're gonna go back in now. And he went back in and she came back out and they were still waiting. And she said, He had a meltdown and he's on the autism spectrum. And she said, But we manage it in a way, and she got to do what I call good autism awareness, right? Yeah. She wasn't mad because they were staring. They were, con- they were confused. People stare when they don't know what's going on. Why are we so mad at them? They don't know, right? It's our job to teach them. And by managing it in that way, not only was she able to manage it with, them, with him, she was able to share that with them. And then when I got home, she was excited, right? She celebrated her, that experience. Now, the, the, ultimately, the real cool part about it is this, this strategy Made it so that we could start going to the park again, right? If he melted down, our friends would call us and say, You want to go somewhere? We'd say, Yeah, we'd take our whole families. And when it happened, we'd manage it. And they would watch and they would go, Oh, that's awesome, right? And they would see and we could do that autism awareness. And it changed our family because instead of being scared of, right, or being offended by people staring, we managed it in a way that gave him the love that he needed. One of the biggest benefits, too, was that he started coming back quicker right his meltdowns got shorter and shorter and as his meltdowns got shorter and shorter we were able to talk to him about how to manage himself you know he got overstimulated take deep breaths but but we were in that in a good state so we could actually have those you know communications with him so it's really cool to do this but the formula for creating any strategy I just want to share with you is not some magnificent formula right it's find your challenge. Write down all the things that are happening, and then write down what you want to have happen, and then create a, create some tactics. And those tactics, they're not. A, this is the cool part about it because every kid is different, every family is different. Your tactics might be a little different, but if you try some tactics and you have some success, you can implement them. If some of them might not work, you'll have to implement new tactics. But the key here is to keep working at it until you figure out what works for you, right? And we've created strategies for. Uh, one of my sons has oppositional defiance disorder. We've got a strategy for that that manages it beautifully, and we get him to do what we, what we want him to and what we need him to. Uh, my, my wife used to be a worry wart. She couldn't sleep at night, worried about the future for them. She created a strategy for that. Uh, arguing kids, um, getting your kids to eat, potty training. I mean, you name it, whatever challenge you have. If you create a strategy and you create tactics that you can implement when that strategy happens, you're able to address it and do it in a kind way with love, right? And that's really what these kids need. If they see us joining their... You know, I I was... One time my son melted down at Walmart, and he was 17 at the time. And I was sitting in the front of Walmart with him. And you know how Walmart is, right? There was probably 20 people staring. Yep. And one lady came up to me, and you could tell she knew what was going on. And she said, uh, is your son on the autism spectrum? I said, yeah, he is, but we're okay. And she said, I'm going to go over there and knock somebody out for staring at you. Guys. Right? She was really, and I said, please don't. Please don't. Yeah. And she said, I can't believe that. I said, you know what, if, if he sees that and he believes that when people don't treat you right, the best way to manage it is to, Attack him? Yeah. If he sees that, that's what he learns, right? So if my son has a meltdown and I attack people for staring, he sees me attack. And my son, I don't know about other kids, but they don't have a line, right? Most of us have a line we draw on the sand we won't cross. He doesn't have a line, right? He'll go as deep as he needs. I cannot have him believing by watching other people that if he doesn't like the way somebody's treating him, that he can attack them because he will. And that causes long-term problems for us.
1: So well, Kyle, that, the, that's the Internet has voted and has said that you're an amazing dad. Uh, I just want uh. you to know. Um, and and uh, we want to let, because we're running out of time here, but we want to let people know that you are willing to share what you know, that you are willing to, you coach people, you speak for parent to parent groups. If somebody wants to have them come to speak to their group or their church or their, you know, whatever it is, you are available to do those things and to coach. Tell them where they can find find more out about what you do in your frameworks? Because it's. I think it's wonderful telling people to make it their own, but a lot of times people are like, give me the shortcut. I want Kyle, yeah. right? <laughs> so tell yeah. them how to get that.
0: We work with parents in a lot of different ways. You know, we, I have a, a Facebook page called Autism Thriving Chaos, and you can go there, and there's over a 1,000 videos on there. You'll have to just dig through. Um, I will warn you. And I try to do this on my videos. I, I'm going to be posting a video soon here where I talk about my wife and, it, and I tear up a little bit. So have some tissue ready just in case. Yeah. Um, but Autism Thriving Chaos is my Facebook page. If you would like to, to know more or plug in the, the recipe we use or learn some of our strategies, your best bet is just to email me. And that's Kyle at dad.com. I think I'm wearing a shirt. Yep. Kyle at drivenautismdad.com is where they can, and, and just make sure they, they mentioned that they saw me on autism live because I, I put together some pretty neat stuff for your group specifically. Oh, cool. And, um, we have video lessons that you can, you can go through. Um, we also do, do one-on-one coaching. And like you said, we do speaking, we've written a couple of books. There's a lot of different ways we can work with families in and, and whatever capacity they choose is how we want to work with them. But, but You know what? We know what it's like to struggle, yeah. And we know what it's like to be on the brink of disaster, right? We also know what it's like to have a family where we all want to be together, yeah. And and we love each other, right? And I don't worry about if something happens to me. My two older sons will grab my sons and love them, yeah, right? Because they know these strategies, they and they understand, and when they. a couple of weekends ago, my oldest son took all my kids without me on a trip to Utah from Boise, Idaho to watch a, a professional basketball game awesome. without me because he knows how to manage those situations. He's unafraid. Yeah. Right. And so what a great thing it is when your kids love each other and... and and can do that for each other.
1: Well, what a wonderful thing when any of us can feel capable. And I and I want to say, and we talk about this a lot on the show, that you know we talk about how stressful it is to be a caregiver for somebody on the spectrum. But we always like to remind everybody that it's not because of that individual. It's because we don't feel capable to communicate and fulfill their needs. And what you're talking about is changing that so that you can feel capable, making it so that in every circumstance that you can feel capable and that is priceless right and you know i I, since you you brought it up um you know so we said in the beginning kyle has six children two on the spectrum and um you know you were in this to win it with your wife and then your wife passed away And, and we're so sorry um and and that would be enough to just drop a lot of people kyle yeah. Um, but you, you have survived and thrived through that. So, cause I know a lot of times the things that go out in people's minds are like, oh, well, it's easy for Kyle because, uh, you know, no, Kyle has six kids, two on the spectrum and, and now he is doing it as a single parent. So it's not easy for Kyle. Um, but <laughs> Kyle is still doing it. Um, yeah, and, and Kyle and- is thriving.
0: And frankly, it, it's the same thing, right? What is the, what is the challenge? You know, and, and my, my kids and I went through this. As a matter of fact, my wife created a strategy um, when she was struggling with worry and not being able to sleep. She created a strategy. She called it good versus evil, right? And it helped her to stop worrying and start living. She came to me one day and she said, I feel like I'm worrying so much that I'm not at my full capacity for my kids, right? I, I don't have all the energy. I'm exhausted from worry and lack of sleep. And she created a strategy that helped her to, to stop worrying and start living for her kids, right? And for me, and I saw it. And that is the exact strategy that I pulled out. Whenever my wife passed away, you know, this can destroy families. Yes. And, and so I, I pulled her strategy out. And we studied it as a family. And I said, here is how we're going to not just survive this experience, but we're going to thrive as a family. We're going to continue to do this. That's what she would want, and that's what we're going to do. And it's actually hanging up on my – it's right here. I've got a little – let me see if I can reach it without – It's it's this strategy is so important to our family that we created a little bitty one and we stuck it all over our house. It's in each of my kids' rooms. It's in the bathroom. It's hanging on our little bulletin board back here. The the key here is is it it takes work, right? You have to put in the work. If you think, you know, I caution parents. I get a lot of parents say, you know, we finally got a diagnosis. Now it's going to be okay. And mm. now it just starts, right? Yeah. Now the work starts, and you are going to have to do the work. You're going to have to you're going to have to work at it. But it's so worth it. Yeah. Right? I mean, we've seen what happens when you don't and what, what families can turn into and the splits and the. It's so worth it to work at it and to, to learn these strategies and do things that help you to thrive in the chaos, right? Yeah. And, and the chaos of losing, uh, losing my wife. I mean, she doesn't want us to fall apart as a family. No. And we don't want to fall apart as a family, so we're going to work at it. And, and you're right. We have. We've thrived. We've stayed happy. We've stayed motivated. You know, there are moments where I have to dive into this deep because sometimes it's tough, but uh, you can't give to others if you can't manage yourself. Right.
1: Well, as I said, the Internet has said you're an amazing dad, plus which we all really like your hair. That's been voted on too, you. Kyle. Thank um, you. <laughs> so, and for those of you who joined in uh, late, I want to say too that because a lot of times we have moms watch and then they will cherry pick what they want dads to see. I think it's really important for you to have your the dads go back and watch the part where Kyle was standing on the front steps and thinking about leaving because this was not what. You know what he was going to do, and what turned him around to get him back in the house to get to this point. So, um, have your have the dads in your lives watch that because I, I think that's a really important. Because a lot of dads actually leave, we all know that. And I and you know what, a lot of times I say that's because they didn't know what to do, and if we can give them a strategy, because nobody wants to feel incompetent. Nobody wants to feel incompetent at anything, and you certainly don't want to feel incompetent at being a parent. Uh, that's a really stressful thing. So uh, bless you, Kyle. Tell them the website again and your email again in case for the people who came in late.
0: So uh, you can find me on Facebook at Autism Thrive in Chaos, and uh, my email is kyle at dadcom We're revamping our drivenautismdad.com website. So it's probably not up yet, but yeah. So Kyle at drivenautismdad, when you, when you email me, please let me know you saw me on autism live. And I've got some special stuff I'll send you. There you go. Weekend.
1: That's a really cool thing. And we're thanking yeah. Bob DeMarco for connecting us with you. So, Bob, thank you for that. Uh, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from you, Kyle. So thank you so much and bless you and your family. for. And thank you for all that you've been through. We'll keep you in our thank thoughts you and so prayers.
0: Much. Thank you so much, Shannon.
1: Thank you. You have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we are out of time. We're past time, but I didn't want to interrupt because uh, it was so good. Yes, Bob says, Kyle's the man. Well, Bob, you're the man too. So uh, <laughs> and so there you go. But anyway... Uh, Wanted to remind all of you that tomorrow we have Let's Talk Movies with Moira and Shannon. It's the last show before we do our big Oscar show. I know people are like, what do parents of neurodiverse individuals have to do with movies? Uh, We watch movies. That's one of the things that we do. And a lot of times the movies, we have a different viewpoint on it because we are a part of that larger autism community. And let's face it, there are a lot of characters now that are being portrayed. Trade as being somewhat on the spectrum, right? Actors playing them on the spectrum. There's a lot to talk about, so we we're we're going for it tomorrow. We're reviewing RRR. You want to be there for that Triangle of Sadness, Women Talking. She said a whole bunch more. So uh, even Top Gun Maverick, you'll want to tune in for that. So and then on Friday, don't forget that every Friday is Stories from the Spectrum, and that is only the voices of those that are neurodiverse. That's really important to my soul. And then we will be back here Monday with Parent to Parent. And we have Dr. Doreen live back in the studio. If you missed yesterday, we were live with her from Saudi Arabia. And hopefully she is safe traveling home and we will have her with us live in studio on Tuesday. Don't forget the Autism Network podcast that's starting on April 4th at 3 p.m. And we will go live for 44 hours uninterrupted. Interrupted non-stop, uh, that that will be happening on April f- uh, 4th through 6th. You're going to want to set your clock for that. It's live and amazing guests that are coming in and uh, guest takeovers. Uh, you know, we're going to have Dr. Temple Grandin uh, is going to be with us for one hour. Dr. Mary Barbera is taking over for an hour. We have Spec Labs is the Spec Labs band is taking over for one hour and they're doing uh, spec labs live at midnight, um, one of the nights. So we've got uh, podcasters from Africa, from India, uh, all over the world. It's going to be a really good time. Make sure that you're with us to tune in. Um, we, uh, right now, we've started to build out the part of the website, Joannie. Uh, you said, is there something we can share the podcastathon? on? Uh, so on autismnetwork.com, there is now a tab that says podcast. There's not a whole lot there yet because I'm finalizing. There are a few people I still haven't been able to talk to, and it's 44 hours, right? Finalizing the calendar, and then it's going to be up. Um, But that is the place to go to get all of the information about that. And, of course, we'll be sharing... On the Autism Live Facebook, on all of our Facebook, um, like the Dr. Doreen Facebook, we'll be sharing information about it there. And the first press release will be coming out uh, either later this week or the beginning of next week. So we'll keep you posted on that because we do want you guys to be sharing. Uh, we're about to hit it really hard, you know. Um, but in any case, thank you. Thank you, Joannie, for asking that because we certainly appreciate that. Well, Bob, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I, I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yay! I, ex- I I want Ability Life Solutions to participate. That's why I've been reaching out to you, Bob. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll let's you and I confab on that. But we're back tomorrow with Let's Talk Movies. Make sure that you guys uh, check that out because I'm sure we have a movie. There's a movie for everyone and you know, Mo- Moira and I don't always agree on movies. So it will be interesting to see what she loved and I hated um, and vice versa. So uh, tune in for that until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.